Okay, um, just keep your Bible closed, because we got a lot of places to go, and a little time to get there. Uh, I've noticed it, this will be our third month in doing a catechism question as a sermon, and what I've noticed in these, and it was probably going to be uh, sort of the pattern as we as we work through this, is that these sermons feel more like teaching. Uh, as opposed to preaching. I hope that there's always preaching in my teaching and there always is teaching in my preaching, but there might be some times where uh, we might just need to be moved to know, to know something uh, more than we ought to be uh, preached to move um, uh, affectionately. I, I, I can explain that more later, but sometimes we just need to be taught in order that we might understand how we are to respond affectionately. And so this morning, we are doing question number 34, what is sanctification? Um, here's, here's the one thing that I want to stick in your mind for the rest of your life. And it's this. Salvation without sanctification is no salvation at all. Okay? Salvation without sanctification is no salvation at all. Um, so here's the, the thing that we're going to do. We've got three main points this morning. Why is sanctification important? And that's going to help us understand more what it is. Number two, what does sanctification accomplish? And number three, how... Does God accomplish it? Why is it important? It's going to help answer what it is. Uh, what does it do? And how does God do it? Those are the three things. And tied in between all of those is that statement. Salvation without sanctification is no salvation at all. Now, I'm going to do something again. I told you it's going to be teaching. And so when I'm... It might be boring. So just be prepared. Um, I, I, there's just no two ways about it. But I hope that it's not so boring that you fall asleep. But my goal as the preacher, as the pastor, as the teacher, I just, I just say this very sharply, is not to entertain you. Okay? I, if that's it, if, you're, if you want to be entertained by what I say up here, um, I'm, gonna, I'm just not going to do you any good. I, I, it just won't work. And it's not going to be any good for you if that's my goal. Um, but what I hope to do is teach you some things this morning that's going to help you in your spiritual growth. And so the first thing, uh, let me just reread the, the answer that's given in our catechism, question and answer. And then we'll, we'll go directly to why it is important. Sanctification is the work of God's Spirit by which we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness. Now, if you're looking at the back of your bulletin, you see there's some weird words there that you can't pronounce, and I can't either, so just hang with me. But what these words are on the back of your bulletin are Greek words that are very important to understanding sanctification. And I actually think if you understand why God or how God uses these Greek words through the writers of the New Testament, 
you might get a better understanding of what sanctification is and why it's important. So if you look at the back of your bulletin, you see three words that start with H. And if you don't have one, there's some more in the back. And feel free to, to hop up and go grab some. Or just raise your hand and maybe Nora can grab you one. Anybody? Shepard, you need one? Just look off your sister. Okay, the first word, hagios. When the Greek word hagios is used, you see it translated of one of two ways. The most common is holy. Now, when I say something's holy or we say something is holy, here's what I want you to imagine. That there is a group of ten things. And the one thing that is holy is actually outside of that group. It is not like the others. It is set apart, separate, cut out, uh, not mingled in like the rest. Holy means different, set apart. It is our number one overall characteristic of God. Because God isn't just holy and loving and just, but God's justice is holy. Because there's no justice like God's justice. No one loves like God loves. So everything about him is holy. It is separate, different from any person, any creature ever alive. The other way that we see that word hagios in the New Testament is the word saints. Okay? Saints. Now... If you have any understanding of the New Testament language, you realize that, well, and to not be confused with Catholic language, Roman Catholic language, the saints of the Bible are the Christians in Christ. If you are a Christian, the Bible refers to you as a saint. Not Saints aren't um, extra holy people that we revere or exalt. If you are in Christ, biblically, you are called a saint, meaning you have been given the title, get this, Holy One. Now, don't get a big head, okay? And we'll we'll understand why here in a minute. So when we see the word hagios, we see the word holy, and we also see the word saints. Go to Ephesians with me, and I'm going to show you this. I could do this in quite a few places, but I wanted to do it in Ephesians because I think it helps us understand it a little bit better. Let's start Ephesians 1, verse 14. And I'm going to throw in the Greek word when we get to it, okay? Now, it's not perfect translation because they change letters on the end, but don't worry about that. Verse 14 of chapter, I'm I'm sorry, verse 13 of chapter 1 in Ephesians. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised hagios spirit. Okay, see that? That's the word we're talking about. Did you catch it? Now, go to verse 4 of chapter 1. So Hagios defines the Spirit of God. Now look what the work of God 
is towards those who are in Christ. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be hagios and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Now I want you to hang on to this phrase, according to the purpose of his will. Hang on to this. The will of the Father is you as hagios, holy. Now look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the hagios who are in Ephesus. The holy ones who are in Ephesus. So, that's the first word. Now, if you look at the second word, hagiazo, that word describes action being taken. And it could be translated into two different ways, typically. Sometimes three, depending on your translation. And that would be sanctified or made holy. Okay. And if we won't go there, but if you look at if you look at First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter one, you see that the saints, the hagios, have been hagiazoed. I'm just making it up in past tense now, <laughs> but you get my point. The saints have been hagiazoed in Jesus Christ. So the saints have been sanctified or made holy in Jesus Christ. Now look at Ephesians 5, verse 25. (laughs) Now pay attention to Christ and what he is accomplishing or his action is. Uh, It's in the context of teaching husbands to love their wives. It says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church... And gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Make her holy. Who is the church? The saints. The holy ones. Who are they? The ones who have been made holy in Christ Jesus. Pay attention to the rest of it. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. We'll come back to that later. So we've got Hagios. The holy or holy or holy ones, hagiazo, made holy or sanctified. We're starting to sound like the word of our catechism. Um, The third word, hagiasmos, is translated one of two ways typically. Holiness or sanctification. This is the process of being made holy or one who is in the state of, of being made holy. Now, we're going to look at many passages that reference this, but let's turn, for the sake of seeing it, back to Romans 6. Now, let's just hit some highlights here. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. How did they die? They were crucified with Christ, right? Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live 
with him. So we would we might think instantly that what he's talking about there is that we will live in the resurrection. Sort of the way, uh, was that Mary who responded, yes, I know Lazarus will live because on the day of the resurrection. But what, the, what Paul is saying in Romans 6 is not that we will live in the resurrection with him on the last day, but spiritually, as you have died to sin, your old self crucified with Christ, you spiritually in this life have been raised from the dead to live a certain way. Okay? To live a certain way. Look what he says in verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now look back at our catechism question and answer. Sanctification is the work of God's Spirit by which we are being renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled, so we're enabled by the Spirit of God, more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness. This is living a life in sanctification. Look down at verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as you live your lives as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now, there's probably a lot of questions out there, and I hope we'll come to them. But here's what I want you to understand. A holy God has willed to make a holy people. And it's not a one-time thing. It's a life progressing and growing in holiness. That's sanctification. Holy, being made holy, holiness or sanctification. I was trying to figure out an English word that kind of has that, that, that three-step. And my wife is an educator at home. She educates my children. My children are receiving an education from her, their educator when she educates them. You see, the, you see the same word being used in three different ways? That's the exact same thing God is doing. A holy God is making a holy people, and he will, he will complete that process until the day we see him. Understand? We'll probably come back a little bit more to that in a minute. So, why is it important? Because that's what God's doing. It is his will. His holiness demands Holy worshipers. We saw last Sunday night that His Holiness demanded acceptable worship. Well, it's not just acceptable worship His Holiness demands. It's an acceptable worshiper. So you plan to worship God in this life or the next. If you're not in pursuit of holiness, we must understand you will not see His face. Hebrews 12, we talked about it far too many times. Well, no, not too many times. Hebrews 12 says, if you're without holiness or without sanctification, no one will see the Lord. There is no salvation apart from sanctification. There's no salvation apart from holiness. That's why it is so 
important. It is God's will and plan for all Christians. We are called to it if you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And here's the other thing. You can say you're a Christian all day long, but the mark of a true Christian is one who is growing in holiness. Is growing in holiness. There, um, we watched Pilgrim's Progress a, a, a month or two ago, but they left out a character in that, and I was so disappointed because it's my one of my favorite interactions between uh, Christian, the main character, and one of his, you know, sort of uh, guys who's going to journey along with him. And his name is Talkative, the guy who comes up to Christian, and Talkative likes to talk and he likes to talk about godly things christian things but i don't remember who was with christian it was faithful or one of them one of his good buddies he's like hey i don't i could be getting them mixed up he's like hey don't listen to this guy i we come from the same town he's a bunch of talk he said talk to him about true christianity and let's see what happens and so Christian or faithful, I don't remember which one, goes and presses talkative about the true mark of a Christian. And he's trying to sidetrack it, and he's like talking. It's all he's doing is talking. But he won't actually engage in what the true mark of a Christian is. And finally, he's like, it's enough, it's enough. The true mark of a Christian is one who despises their sin and lives to righteousness and is growing in holiness. That is the mark of a true Believer and talkative said, I've heard enough. I'm out of here. I'm done. So he didn't go the rest of the way. He veered off the path. That's why sanctification is so important because it is the true distinguishing mark of a Christian. And we might name it Christ likeness. Christ likeness. Huh. Now, this is such a neglected doctrine of the church today. Um, it's or it's at best a sloppy doctrine, and it it just sort of gets pushed under the rug because we think the most important thing about salvation is getting saved, right? Escaping hell, not not being under condemnation for our sin. But that is, it is one, a lie from Satan. And number two, it will not lead someone to the presence of God. Just as Hebrews 12 said, without holiness or sanctification, no one will see the Lord. I had I had some reasons why this has become such a neglected doctrine, and I'm not going to talk about them. I'm just going to sort of tell you them. Number one, we've been... We've been inundated with this idea of easy believism, that we just, for the sake of getting as many people to Christ, that we just say, just believe, just believe, just believe. And we never once remind them, or we never once think about what Jesus says. When Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you have to count the cost. And what is the cost? It's denial of self. And what are you denying? Sin. Self-pleasure. In place of what? Godliness. Righteousness. And so we push, believe, 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 but we never say, but you must endure and remain. And guess what? 
it might even get tough because the Lord's going to discipline you for the sake of your holiness. So easy believism, biblical illiteracy. You don't want to know what people know about the Bible today. It's a sad state of affairs. Very much so. And I don't mean just the world. I mean confessing Christians. And just the the abandonment of difficult doctrine, difficult teaching. People give lip service to their Bible, but no one reads it, studies it, loves it, cherishes it. We've abandoned theology for feelings. We've settled with good moral teachings in place of hard gospel proclamation. We desire warm and fuzzies and shun preaching that makes us uncomfortable and draws conviction. Encouragement only. Don't make me feel uncomfortable. It is the prophecy come to life from 2 Timothy chapter 3. In the last days there will be lovers of self, lovers of money, um, proud, arrogant, ungrateful, unholy, not loving God. Good. But where are these people located? They have a form of godliness. They've crept into the church. And so because they love themselves, love their sin, love their arrogance, and they're ungrateful and holy, what do they want? They want preachers to tickle their ears. And therefore, the doctrines that push against their sin need to be removed. Therefore, sanctification is just not one that's really, high, really highly thought of. Um, so we must understand that uh, Paul wasn't joking when he says that would be a reality in the last days. But it cannot be this reality where we're like, hmm, I wonder where they are. But it might be, hmm, I wonder where I am. Okay? It starts with self-reflection. Did, was it uh, John? Test yourself? No, Paul. Test yourself to see whether you be in the faith. That's, that's Paul. So it, it begins with here. So we must understand if, if we don't want to fall into that of neglecting such great doctrine or neglecting or even just uh, being sloppy, we must be prayerfully, we must prayerfully search our own hearts while searching the scriptures. And then when that happens and we do that, we must be ready to repent when God confronts us of the truths we've neglected or doctrines that we've denied. We must be committed to the whole counsel of God, which a lot of people will say that. And they say that the scriptures come from God, but they live a life that does not uh, show that they bow to the authority of scripture or they think that it is sufficient for all that they need for life and godliness. We must seek the truth in these pages. It all comes from God. It is his final authority, and it's all we need to live and worship to the glory of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So it's my prayer that we as a people at Ozarks Bible Church are convinced of the necessity, reality, and the power of this glorious doctrine of sanctification. 
which means, what does that mean for you? It means that we are people that are not satisfied with our current spiritual condition. You cannot be satisfied with where you are in Christ. But we must be hungry for righteousness. We must be at war with our own sin. We must long to be like Christ in this life. In this life. So that's why it's important. What does it accomplish? Um, Three words. I started with one, and then I was like, no, two words. And then I added another one. So it's three words. What does this accomplish? Ongoing life transformation. Sanctification accomplishes ongoing life transformation. We know the stories of transformations of people who have been saved and born again, but it does not stop there. It is a lifelong pursuit of Christ-likeness. Whether you're 8 or 88, there is another step in your pursuit of faith where you can become more like Christ. You don't hit retirement and say, I'm done sinning. It doesn't happen. And we don't expect our little ones who've professed Christ to think, oh, they're so innocent, they don't sin. We know better on both ends. Sanctification is accomplishing an ongoing life transformation or perhaps a more biblical word, less trendy word, a renewal. A renewal. Look back at our, our answer. Sanctification is the work of God's Spirit by which we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. You might think, well, hang on a sec, Luke. Aren't we all in the image of God? Yes, we are. But Adam ruined it. And you have been an accomplice in vandalizing it. None of us are in the pure image of God. There has been one human being upon this earth who has stood in the pure image of God. And that, actually, as I think about it, as Jesus was man, was not in the final state of the purest image of God. Because you know what happened when he rose from the dead? He was glorified in a body that would last forever. Now, we, I could probably talk through that a little bit, but let's, all we have to understand is that Adam marred the image We have joined him in that vandalization, but Christ has sent to redeem what we have ruined. And that's the whole man. Okay, it's the whole man. You and I have ruined our entire selves. Sin has corrupted every part of us. Our mind, our hearts, our affections, our thoughts, our will. There is nothing that remains in us that is not affected by sin. But God has willed to renew the image of himself in us through his son. Adam, the first 
ruined it. Christ, the second Adam, redeemed it. Uh, let's let's check this out. Are you at Romans six or yeah? Let's let's go to Romans six because I want to I want to pick out a couple things because I want to show I want to show you what is being accomplished here in sanctification. Starting in verse six. We know that our old self, which was the self that vandalized the image of God, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set Free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Look at verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves. This is what's being accomplished. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And through sanctification, that is becoming more and more of a reality throughout the process. Notice our, our, our catechism question and answer says, and are enabled more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness. Now, if you had looked ahead, you knew that we were going to probably be in Ephesians 4 because it's one of the proof texts for our catechism question. Look at Ephesians 4. And you're like, okay, so what does that look like? What does a sanctified life look like? What does it look like to pursue holiness, to die to sin and live to righteousness? Ephesians 4, 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. That you, Christian, okay, Christian, must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And that's a code word for saying the pagan, the unbeliever. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, understanding, alienated from the life of God because they're what? They're dead to God and alive to sin, right? So they're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of the heart. See, sin corrupts every part of us, hardens the heart. 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensualities, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Do you know what that signifies the opposite of? Holy. They're the opposite of holy in their Hardened hearts and darkened minds. They're actually, they're doing all kinds of things to impurity. 20. But that is not what you have learned. That is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now what is that truth? It's Romans 6. That you have died to yourself. You've been set free from sin. And you've been made alive to God. That's the truth 
that is yours in Christ Jesus. And he says, so when you know that, when that is your truth, verse 22, you don't whistle and just walk around. No, you put off your old self. You put it off. Which belongs, the old self belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now let me just say this. If you are outside of Christ today, that is impossible for you. If you are outside of faith in Christ, you are bound to your sin. Sin is your master and you are bound to him until the bonds of sin are broken free by Christ Jesus through faith in him. If you are not in Christ today, your old self is your current reality. And so you must trust in Christ. But for us who have been, who have died with Christ and been made alive to God, we put off our old self, our old former manner of life. Verse 23. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Renewed. There's that word. What, what should we do? What, 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 what's next? And to put on. This is a command. And to put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Through sanctification we are renewed. In every aspect of our bodies, in the whole man, after the image of God, and we're enabled more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness. What do I do to put it on? What do I do to take it off? Look at chapter 5, verse 3. It gives us a bit of a helpful understanding of what it looks like to put off and to put on. To put off sin and put on righteousness. To put off death and put on life. 5 verse 3. Actually, probably better to start in verse 1. It begins with, be imitators of God. That's holiness, right? Imitate God. As beloved children. That's because you're in Christ. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as fragrant offerings and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality... And all impurity or, or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is improper among holy ones, saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. It's like, oh, I just tell some, I just tell some naughty jokes at work. Or, oh, I, I, I share those funny, filthy memes on Facebook. That's not a big deal. To death with it. All of it. You're a holy one. You should find no satisfaction or gain in your filthy crude talk or your sharing uh, nasty memes. It's all filth. It's all impurity. And it's all against God. We have we must not even talk about these things. He says in verse three, verse five. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, that is unholy, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, here it is, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And so I repeat to you, without holiness, 
you will not see the face of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, verse 6. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. If you are not being sanctified, you are a son of disobedience. Verse 7, therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. So don't share darkness. Don't spew darkness if you are in the light. Light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Because why? Our God is an all-consuming fire. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Now, that is putting off the old self. Now flip over to Colossians 3, how we began our gathering together. Told you we had a lot of places to go, so just bear with me. Colossians 3, verse 12. We are putting off the old self. So Colossians 3, verse 12 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What are we to put on? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. Meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. Put it on. Which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That is what a sanctified life looks like taking off the old self and wearing the new dead to sin alive to God and more and more and more now uh, I'll touch on this Um, this could be confusing But by the grace of God, if you grasp what I'm about to tell you, it will free you from some things. It could be very beneficial to your spirit. (laughs) So there are two types of sanctification. There is positional sanctification and progressive sanctification. I'm just going to try to sum it up really fast without my notes here. You remember when we did What is Justification? And justification was having our sins pardoned, being counted as righteous with Christ's righteousness and seen as God as acceptable. Remember that? Well, before that, what was your position with God? You were sons of disobedience. You were under his wrath and condemnation. Well, in Christ, your position changes. You are seen in Christ positionally before God Sanctified means because you're in Christ, 
you are seen as holy. Not because you're holy, but because you're united to Christ. And that's why when you read the New Testament and you go, oh, we've been sanctified? Past tense? Yes, in Christ you have been positionally counted as holy. I'm stressing in Christ. Because he is the only one who has truly positionally set himself before God as one holy. And so when we're united to Christ by faith, we are brought before the throne of God above and viewed by God as made holy in Christ. That's positional sanctification. And here's something that I want to say. When you are made holy by the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ, with the indwelling Holy Spirit, I have good news for you. It cannot be reversed. Ever. Nothing can separate you from the love of God through Jesus Christ. When one is sanctified, that begins the process of progressive sanctification. Which means while you live this life, you live with respect to your position. How many of you how many times have you told your kid, at your age? Right? It's like you're 13, you're acting like a six-year-old. Act your age. Progressive sanctification is acting out your position. You have been positioned before God as holy. And so when someone observes your life, you would hope that they would see you living out that position as you've strived for holiness. If we think about it in the context of Hebrews 10, 11, and 12, what are we told to do in Christ through Christ? We're told to... uh, Draw near to God. Okay? But you think, but we've been sanctified. Aren't we near to God? If you're near to God, guess what you want to be? A little bit nearer. How do you think you get a little bit nearer? Becoming a little bit more holy. Now I want you to see this. As you become a little bit more holy and draw a little bit nearer to God, what do you think, excuse me, Who do you think you're starting to look like? Jesus Christ. Now, what do you think is going to happen the day that he returns and you stand before him? Who do you think you're going to look like fully? The only one that can stand before God, the Son. And so the day you see him, you will be like him. And the only ones who see him and will be like him are the ones who are striving to be like him while they breathe. Positionally, we find ourselves in uh, in Christ holy. But through our lives, we desire to be more like Christ and strive for holiness. And the completion of that will be what we call glorification. That thought that I gave you about Jesus having this new body. Whew, that's going to be the completion of of our sanctification. And it's so good, we call it glorification. You following? 
I hope that didn't confuse you. But the the things I want you to, to take heart in is, number one, when you're positionally holy or sanctified before God, you can never be removed from that position. And number two, when you're struggling in your becoming holy and your progressive sanctification, just do this. Remind yourself what position you're in. Okay? Okay. Now, quickly, how does this happen? Well, the catechism question is pretty straightforward in its, in its, in its shortness. And I'll, I'll actually let you know that the sh- these question and answers are actually a shortened version of actual longer answers. And if you – they are so good. Um, but notice how it happens. It is the work of God's Spirit. But the longer answer, it begins with, it is an act of God's grace. So here are the things I want you to understand, and I'm just going to give them to you quickly. How sanctification is accomplished. Number one, the will of God. Number two, the work of the Spirit. And those two things are what unites you with the Son. The will of the Father... And the work of the Spirit. We'll talk about those in just a second. But also, the other thing that's that's working here is the Word of God. The Word of God. And the thing we're going to talk about tonight is that this does not happen in a vacuum. It does not happen as a wandering sheep. It happens most biblically and in God-purposing through engagement in a local church. And we'll talk about that this evening, Lord willing. So the will of the Father. Now, um, okay, when I mean the will of the Father, I don't mean it. he's commanded it, and so you must. You can either take it or leave it. When I say it's the will of the Father, I mean he has ordained it, and it will come to pass. That's the other beauty about positional and progressive sanctification is that if you find yourself in Christ, you know that God has ordained that you will become more like Christ. He has, command, uh, he has ordained your, uh, your sanctification. It's like if someone left a will. It's not instructions that they can take or keep on how to disperse the property. The will is the last will and testament of how the, 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 the assets are to be distributed. The will of God, not in the sense of he wills that we don't murder, but in the, in the sense of that he has ordained it to pass, will bring about the sanctification of the saints. Ephesians 1, we already saw it, that, that we are... Um, Ephesians... Uh, we don't have time. Uh, God will sanctify those whom he justifies those whom he calls, those whom he saves. Even the thief on the cross experienced this. In the, think about this. Before he died physically, he died to sin while he hung on that cross. And not only that, in the last few minutes, as he was dying on the cross, it was the most alive he'd ever been to God. You understand that? Sanctification took place in the thief on the cross in however many minutes he had to live. It's inevitable. The transformation is inevitable because it is the will of God. God's plan and will for all of his sheep is to be, is to be holy. It's inevitable. It's purposed. It's necessary for those who have been saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
this plan is put into action by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Um, if 1 Corinthians says we're justified and sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of God. Okay, um, John 17, uh, he says that uh, that the, the sanctification of the saints separates by the indwelling Holy Spirit the people of Christ from the rest of the world. Sanctify them while they're in the world, Jesus asked the Father. Um, and of course, Ezekiel 36 when Ezekiel prophesies the giving of the Spirit, what does he say will happen to the people who have the Spirit? He will cause them to walk in God's statutes and be careful to obey His rules. That's living a life of holiness and can only be done with the Spirit of God. Sanctification is the work of God's Spirit, and it is the work of God's Spirit by the Word of God. Last passage, John 17. Look at, with it. Look at it with me. We're done after this. John 17, you all know it well. I've already alluded to it. Verse 16. As he's speaking about his disciples, John 17, verse 16, he says, They are not of the world. They're in the world, but they're not of the world. Just, he says, as I am not of the world. And then verse 17, he says it. Sanctify them. Make them holy in the truth. Your word is truth. So how are we to be sanctified? Only by the truth of God, the word of God. 18, as you sent me into the world, Father, the Son says to the Father, so I have sent them into the world. And as for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified, made holy in the truth. Imagine it this way. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of God is the motor that drives your sanctification. And what is the fuel? The Word of God. The Spirit, the motor don't work without the fuel. You understand? Christ said, or Ephesians says that Christ died that he might sanctify the church by the washing of the water with the word. Again, we think back to Hebrews 12 in the warning. Listen to him. Listen to him. Hear the words of Jesus. Believe them and obey them. If I had to summarize the doctrine of sanctification in three words... They would be this. Trust, obey, and repent. Trust is faith. Obedience is the fruit of your faith. But what do we know? That you will, you will stumble because we're fighting the battle. And when you stumble by faith, in obedience, repent. Confess your sin and grow. Confess your sin and grow. Trust and obey. So tonight, we, Lord willing, we'll take a look at the role of the church in sanctification. Salvation 
without sanctification is no salvation at all. God's holiness demands our holiness. If the progress of your life is not towards holiness, you are moving away from God. The reality is, is you're either drawing near to him or falling away from him. But take heart and know that those whom God has sanctified in Christ, he will finish the process of sanctification. He will save you to the fullest. He will draw you into his very presence and transform you completely into the image of his son. And so until then, put off the old self. Die to sin more and more and live to righteousness, being united in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand baptism is a picture of that death and resurrection. And for those who have believed in Christ and have died to sin and raised with righteousness, you are commanded by the Lord Jesus to make that proclamation in public baptism and be joined to the body of Christ. And so my first and foremost uh, plea for you today is to trust in the Lord Jesus, to die to sin and be raised to a newness of life. And profess that to the world, to this church, through public baptism. And join this local assembly of saints. Let's pray. Father, take the words and plant them down deep in us. Shape and fashion, fashion us into your likeness. For the glory of our elder brother. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let us sing one more hymn. Let's stand and turn to number Red Book 204. We're going to do one, two, three, and five. One, two, three, and five. Let's sing all of them. They're all good. I don't know all of them.
and in fellowship sweet. We will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Amen. Uh, just a few announcements. Next Saturday is break, uh, breakfast and church cleanup. It's getting springtime, so we got a few things to do outside. Um, and, then, huh? and then the next Saturday. And then, and then the next Saturday, come eat breakfast. Uh, we'll have some pancakes at 8.30, and then we'll start cleaning up around 9. That's this coming Saturday. And then the following Saturday, we'll have our, our family night. Uh, we're going to meet on the 25th at 5 p.m. at Pizza Inn. And then we're going to go after that to the bowling alley and do some bowling. Now, this is um, this is paid for by the church, and we want all to come, and so we can all fellowship as as a as a body in Christ and enjoy one another's fellowship in the Lord. Um, if you want to make a donation to that, we're proudly accept any donation. But if it does not, you do not have to do that to come. Uh, you can come and eat and 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 uh, bowl with us as we uh, glorify the Lord in our fellowship together. Um, fellowship lunch is going to be brunch, one of my favorite meals. Uh, it wasn't my idea, I promise. Um, but that's the 26th. We'll have a sign-up sheet in the back. Men, we have our new books. Uh, even if you can't attend on... Tuesday mornings at 5.30, but you would like a book of the godly man's picture, please grab one. Um, again, those are paid for by the church, but if you if you desire to make a $10 donation or 5 or whatever you could do, uh, we, we will take that and accept that as well. Uh, that book is on the back in the foyer on the table, and we meet at 5.30 on Tuesday mornings. I'm looking forward to going through that book, and we're still... We will always be making our way through Proverbs and seeking uh, wisdom as godly men. Um, this evening we'll come together and we'll conclude our study in sanctification. Uh, Lord willing, spend some time in prayer as the body of Christ, as this local assembly. Um, again, I just want to remind you there are resources on our website uh, with the hope of assisting you in sanctification. And preparation for worship, in leading your family, it's not—it's not crazy. It's just small things that are there for you. There are even some on the back, Bible reading plans, uh, some pamphlets, some books. Please, we—we we want to—we want to equip you to be edified and built up into maturity, into the fullness of Christ. So, that is my. Hope and prayer for all of you as we discussed this morning in Sunday school. So take advantage of it. Please take advantage of it. Uh, if you have any questions about how to access them, how to use them, please let me know and talk to me afterwards, and I'll, I'll help you with that. Uh, with that, let me read our... Uh,
our benediction from 1 Thessalonians. Hear the word of the Lord. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. I have a blessed rest of the Lord's Day. I'll see you all tonight at 6.